It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Let's talk about this with Tobias Elwood. He's a Conservative MP, but he's also chair of the Defence Select Committee and joins us now. Good morning to you, Tobias. Good morning to you. Um, first of all, uh, should the Prime Minister cancel the five days of Christmas? And uh, second, will he? Well, these are really big questions. You and I are debating this. It's being debated across the country. The place where I'd like to see this being debated is, in fact, Parliament, because it's such a big decision. There's no doubt this has been the toughest of years. The Prime Minister was working really hard to liberate those restrictions to give us all such a much needed break over the Christmas period. But the guidance was drawn up in November when the outlook was looking very different indeed, where we had the capacity, if you like, to sustain any increase in the R rating to uh, manageable levels. But the situation in the UK, actually not just in the UK, but right across uh, Europe is very bleak indeed. The glide path is going the wrong way, not just in London, the UK, but in Germany, in France, Spain, Portugal, they're all looking at either lockdowns or hiring tiering systems. So much as I want everybody to have a break, it's important that we do get this right. This remains the biggest crisis that we've faced since the war. It's a dangerous and enduring emergency, and we mustn't forget that. It's a dangerous and enduring emergency, and yet we do not have statistically particularly worrying excess mortality at this current time. We are not seeing anything like the number of people dying from COVID. It's a ten- in London, where we're told there's this the word surge keeps being used. It's not what actually the data shows at all. We've got we're a tenth of the peak in April. Uh, in terms of COVID admissions to London's hospitals, again, where we've got this so-called surge, it's a quarter of where we're in March and April. You say it's very bleak indeed. If you actually look at the, the graphs for hospitalizations and deaths at this time of year, in any other year, it's remarkably similar to any other year. Why have we not locked down before or cancelled Christmas before? Well, we've not faced a pandemic on this scale before. We've faced flu. We fa- no, we have faced we have faced very, very, very bad flu winters no, where we've, we've lost faced, tens of thousands of people. This country, this country has not faced a pandemic in our generation on this scale. Let's make that really, really clear. And the three big numbers are the number of cases every day, mm-hmm. which we're now averaging 18,000. The number going of down. beds being occupied. Go, average, average weekly case numbers is going down. Let me just finish my, my point. You've got a, a, they may be going down slightly. They're still well above what they were in April. OK, so we have about roughly 18,000 people Tobias. getting COVID every Tobias. day. Tobias, Tobias, we weren't okay. testing people in April. We didn't have access to tests. So people were getting... You, you need to let me finish my no, point. No, but you need then... to make points which are valid. That is, We do not have more people with, with COVID now than we had in April. That is simply, a, that is simply not true. 
if you let me finish my point, then I'll explain. So 18,000 cases a day. Yes, you're right, because we're testing more. What is up, though, is the number of patients that are getting COVID that are in hospitals. That is right. That is rising every day by a thousand. OK. And then the number of deaths is now around 500. These are stats that equate to where we were in April. We had 19,000 beds occupancy in April, on April the 12th. That was the worst point. And don't forget, the pressure on the NHS is what this is all about. Oh, on current trajectory, we're about to peak over that 19,000. And that means we'll be worse than in April. All I'm simply saying is let's have a, a proper debate about it because when this was put together was bad in, in, in uh, November. Where we're looking at now is very different indeed. I simply pose the question, yes, we can let all our hair down for five days over that Christmas period, but do we really want to throw away the good work that we've gone to when a vaccine is coming around the corner and risk a third wave and potential a third lockdown? I'm simply asking the questions and I would like a debate to take place in Parliament. That is my job. We have nothing like the number of cases, the number of hospitalizations, the number of deaths of, 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 for COVID that we had back in March and April. We have rising hospitalizations for respiratory diseases as we have every single year in December. It happens every year. It is no higher than it is, but more than any time in the last 20 years. Different years are different. I mean, everyone makes a five-year comparison. It happens that we had three quite low years in those last five years. If you look at it over a slightly longer time period, there is nothing that would even raise an eyebrow. It wouldn't even be on the front pages of the newspapers if we weren't testing people for COVID. 20% of the people with COVID in hospital caught it in hospital. That's on official data, for goodness sake. Look, the Parliament already debated this, and they agreed that we would, I mean, you used the phrase, give us a break. I still object to the idea that the government is telling me or anyone else in this country who we can and cannot see in our own homes, um, given that we are not at the height of a pandemic anymore. We simply are not. The statistics do not show that in terms of infections, in terms of cases, in terms of hospitalizations, or in terms of deaths. None of that shows that at all. There has been an absolute mad hysteria over this. This is a real virus. It kills people. It particularly kills elderly people. The vast majority of other people, it is less risky than flu is. And we don't shut down our country or ban people from having Christmas when we have a bad flu outbreak. What we do is we give the information to people and we let adult human beings in this country in the 20th century, we, 21st century, sorry, we, we trust them to make the right decisions for them and their families. When did we decide that the that, that adults in Britain were not responsible enough for their and their families' members' own health? When did, when did we make that decision? Well, you make your points, and these are the things that should be debated. I don't doubt any of those. They are valid points to consider. I'm not a scientist. I'm simply looking at the statistics that I get for Dorset and that I see widely in the UK. And we are coming very, very close to the hospital beds being at max occupancy, which would have a knock-on effect to those people with other illnesses. You need to let me make my point. You spoke for some time. You asked what the government should do. In times of enduring emergency, it's important that the government shows that leadership and makes those difficult decisions. The question I'm pointing out is that we must have a proper debate about it. At the moment, this is taking place in the newspapers and on radio stations. The valid points, the very pertinent points that you make, should be digested properly. Instead, what we're having, having is decisions that were made back in November now being put into place and, and executed uh, today. Mm -hmm. And I'm simply saying that actually the situation could be much more dangerous. The way we'll find out, though, is in January. And that traditionally, I hope you'd agree, is when the NHS is uh, at its most toughest, when it's actually on its the most Every pressure. Because of winter, yes, which is where we're in now, winter. 
And that's what happens. I just don't think I'm so... I'm still aghast that people are still talking about protecting the NHS. We built up that extra capacity. We recruited back a load of uh, of our ex-retired NHS staff. We built those Nightingale hospitals so we would not see uh, the NHS overwhelmed. It is not the job of the British people to protect the NHS. It is the job of the NHS to organise itself and the government right, to fund it to, to, to treat people who it. need it. I've got to interject. It's the responsibility of every single one of us in this country to act responsibly Who because isn't? of the way this pandemic moves. Who isn't? This is the thing. There seems to be this idea that, well, I'm a very responsible person. I'm not doing anything to put other people at risk. I'm not going to create any problems here. But but all these other ghastly people who are too stupid to look after their elderly relatives, they're going to do stupid things over Christmas. Do you not think this is a fairly little elitist attitude from people like Keir Starmer, uh, people like uh, the Health Service Journal editor and the BMJ editor, this idea that everyone else is too stupid and too no, immoral to I, look I after think, their family members? I think the, the, you're making all sort of patronising comments. Maybe aren't being stupid, but what they do is want guidance. They, they expect the scientists and government to know more about the situation be nice and, if give, they did. Yes. and give and give clarity so for example is it wise that everybody packs into trains for five days knowing that this could spread you had the british medical journal just on beforehand saying they were walking down the high streets and seeing people not wearing the mask <gasps> serving food the... and so forth <gasps> not so wearing a mask on the high street right. like you're not supposed to you don't need to wear a mask on the high street you're no, outdoors it, it was your own report they were saying they were serving restaurant food inside restaurants all I'm trying to say is that uh, it's important that we enforce these rules. We're all exhausted. This has been a, a, you know, such a difficult year. It's so easy to let our guard down. And with a vaccine just coming around the corner, I'm simply asking the questions as to what, how we can be responsible over Christmas to make sure that we're not hitting a third wave and therefore a third lockdown. Look what's happening in Germany right now. Another lockdown. France as well. United States is going wild there too. Go back to the NHS. It's the pressure on the beds that actually count. They're the statistics that we need to look into. We simply need to be cautious. I'm not saying let's you know, cancel Christmas. That would be daft and be unfair. But what I'm saying is that five days of completely letting our guard down, the way but that's been that's suggested... That's not what people are planning to do. It's the sim- No one is talking about everyone having wild raves with three households over Christmas. We're just talking about family members being allowed to legally travel around the country to visit relatives in a safe environment. I, and I, that I, means those... And that those in tier three will move to tier two. Tier two will move to tier one. And when you move out of restaurants, for example, at 11 o'clock on New Year's Eve, restaurants will be told to shut. For me, I think that's madness because restaurants are controlled environments. They actually do the social distancing very, very well indeed. Why wasn't that extended until 1 p.m., 1 a.m.? rather than people going from there, clearly going to go back and probably have a house well, party. as I say... It I, needs to be thought through. Have a word, have a word with the, uh, the Prime Minister that you guys elected. Tobias Howard, it's been a pleasure debating with you. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Uh, let's talk to Dr Claudia Poloni, who's a GP and president of the HCSA. That's the Hospital Doctors' Union. And she joins us now. Good morning to you, Claudia. Good morning. Um, do you join? I'm actually a hospital consultant. I'm an anaesthetist. Oh, I do. I do apologise. We'll we'll we'll, sa- we'll sack someone for getting that wrong. I apologise for that. Um, not at all. Um, uh, but um, your your doctors' union. You've also called for the government to reverse plans to loosen the COVID restrictions at Christmas. Why? Because we are starting off from an infection rate that is much higher than before we went into the national lockdown in November, and so we are concerned that January and February, the worst months in the NHS, 
are going to be overwhelmed by the social interactions. Okay. Um, just because just because we went down in lockdown in November, which lots of people actually argue and the evidence that was given for it was has been since completely debunked. Uh, we weren't seeing soaring infection rates or anything at the time. Um, hospitals have been perfectly well able to cope uh, since then. Um, that doesn't justify nevertheless going into a lockdown or going into a restricted measures now. Why do you think the NHS is going to be overwhelmed? It wasn't overwhelmed in April when we had the peak. Why would it be overwhelmed now? Because April was coming out of the winter, you were going into the summer. We're going, we're going into the peak months of uh, the winter. So the NHS is, is in a completely different situation at that time of year. And I'm interested by which you say that there isn't the evidence. If you look hmm. at the evidence, actually, um, the current numbers of bed occupancies are at 14,460, mm-hmm. whereas in um, November, it was 9,782. Yes, so the numbers have continued to go up. Claudia, Claudia, the numbers go up every December. You know that and I know that. Not with COVID, they don't. Ah, now here's the thing. That's the interesting thing. Now, although we've seen some elective surgery and the likes um, cancelled, and obviously that's going to mean you're going to have fewer people coming in who are you know, non-emergencies, and we, and we know that. That's completely accepted. We are seeing an awful lot of people who are, are going in with COVID or getting COVID, 20% in hospital, getting COVID seven days after they've been in hospital, testing negative, negative, negative for seven days, and then testing positive. So the evidence now is that they're catching it in hospital rather than elsewhere. But we're also seeing virtually no flu. Uh, the dominant respiratory disease of this this winter is COVID. Now, we're not seeing bed occupancy rates any higher than they would normally be at this time of year. It's with a different respiratory disease. Or many would argue, there are lots of medics and scientists arguing, actually, this is being misdiagnosed as COVID. If you can be in hospital for any other reason whatsoever, if you have a COVID positive test, you count as a COVID patient, as you know, working in a hospital. So, why do we think, yet again, why do we think the hospitals are going to be overwhelmed? Because if you come into a hospital or want to have a look around a hospital, mm-hmm. you will see plenty of patients receiving respiratory supportive care for COVID, not for other respiratory diseases, mm-hmm. but for COVID. Yeah. And we are cancelling operations and we have been cancelling operations and delaying operations because of all the infection control measures that need to be undertaken we don't have the capacity to manage that therefore add in an additional burden and you will have problems with lack of even worse capacity and even less access to hospital beds okay right um in London, where we're told is the big surge and where it's all terrible, 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 and we've moved into tier three overnight, the weekly average number of COVID deaths is tenth of the peak in April on the government's own data, and the weekly average COVID admissions to London's hospitals is a quarter of what it was in March and April. Yes, um, well, it's a good thing that people don't die now because of the advances mm. of medicine. Yeah. Unfortunately, however, if people aren't dying, they do take longer to come out mm-hmm. of hospital because they're their treatment takes longer and their recovery period takes longer. That's good, Therefore, though. You know, OK, they're staying in hospital longer. From, um, th- that is great news, but you have to then for account for the fact that they will be occupying the beds for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that has a non- knock-on effect okay. as well. It's at a quarter. Admissions to London's hospitals where we've got the big surge, where apparently we are in absolute crisis, a quarter of the admissions in March and April. We barely even use the Nightingale hospitals. We are not going to see an overwhelmed NHS, are we? I mean, I'm sorry, but I don't know on what basis it's going to be any more overwhelmed than it is on any normal January where we do cancer elective surgery on a regular basis in Januarys, don't we? 
I know I know family members who've had it cancelled in January because of this uh, in, in a normal year. You, if you look at the actual stats of, of numbers of people and how long they're in hospital, like, there is nothing unusual this time of year other than the cancellation of a lot of electric surgery. But we've had that all through the summer, even when we didn't have any COVID. And that's the worrying thing, because the level of cancellations that we have is so much higher than we have. That's why the waiting lists are building up. And that's the problem is the lack of NHS capacity. And you mentioned the Nightingale Hospitals. Unfortunately, they're fantastic build and a fantastic show of how we can build hospitals. We don't have the capacity of staff to man those Nightingales. How did we have the so capacity of staff back in uh, April? Then? We didn't. We, we didn't. didn't. They never had any we staff. Never had, we never had sufficient staff to run the Nightingales. Okay, so that was all. That was so when everyone was busy clapping for all of that, that was just a load of nonsense as well. No, no, the NHS absolutely were working their hardest. The individuals working in the NHS, the healthcare workers that are doing the most sterling job of trying to treat people and keep everybody safe, were working as hard. That's why we have so much burnout. That's why the well-being of the NHS staff is really at, at risk right now. But we do not have enough staff to run nightingales. So for individuals to say that, oh well, we've got the surge capacity within the nightingales. Sadly mistaken. Okay. Um, Do you think it's the job, Claudia, of the NHS to protect us or for us to protect the NHS? I think it's a partnership. Everybody has to take responsibility for their own actions and they have to be guided. But unfortunately, if the message is mixed, it's very difficult for people to make choices. So one day it's not safe. The next day it is safe and then it's not safe. That's a very mixed message. And if you want to keep the very simple facts, this virus is transmitted by social contact. Allow social contact to be unchecked and that virus will spread. But but you said people have to take responsibility for their own actions, but that's exactly what allowing people freedom over Christmas period for five days to do so. Uh, not, we're not talking about people having wild raves. We're talking about people being able to travel to see other relatives, m- many of them, you know, seeing brothers and sisters and their families and uh, lots of people isolating for a week beforehand, being very careful, planning things around, you know, having windows open and, and not hugging people. People are being very responsible. Do you not think there's a real worry, but both when it comes to politicians and medics, this idea that everyone else is a bit too stupid to keep themselves safe? Uh, No, I think everybody, we all believe that people try to do their best, but there are some realities and some facts that everybody has to take into account as well. Christmas is in the winter, therefore Christmas is spent inside houses. Uh, If you have a lot of people in a smaller space, then you're going to have increased contact. You've also got the additional problem that if you're moving across the country with different tiers, you're actually increasing the spread. We saw that as soon as the universities went back. Mm-hmm. So you've got plenty of evidence to actually show that when, even despite people being sensible, even despite people thinking they're making the right choices, in the periods when there are, isn't increased guidance or if there isn't a lockdown, whatever form a lockdown is, uh, is, is made, because the current situation isn't a full national lockdown, the tier levels are not full national lockdowns, as we know, then you will have got an increase an increase in the rate of infection. Of course, the infection's going up all the time because we've got, got such a high baseline rate. In fact, infection, infection rates went up even during the lockdown uh, in, in November in, in some parts of the country, which, which certainly suggests that lockdowns don't do the deal. When do you, just finally, Claudia, when do you think that we can be allowed again to make our own choices about our own health? When do you foresee that time coming when we don't have to worry about protecting people working in the NHS? I think everyone has to make choices on a daily basis. I think we're not allowed to right now. We're not allowed to. 
breaking the law. Of course you can. Everybody still has to make their choice. I can't. I can't. I can't have dinner. I can't have dinner in my home tonight with my family. I'll be breaking the law. I'm not allowed to make that choice. When do you think we'll be allowed to? When would you, as a as a as a consultant, when do you think we will be allowed to and should be allowed to make our own decisions? What level of COVID deaths would be acceptable for us to be allowed to be adults and make decisions about our own health and the risks we're willing to take? I think there isn't about, about the level of COVID deaths because there will uh, we have to look at the overwhelming of the NHS and the long COVID effects, which people seem to oh, forget as well. Yeah, yeah. And the long-term cost to the economy, people worry about the economy, the long-term cost of long-term health care for people who are suffering. Yeah. That's all, they, these are all things that matter. Oh, that yes. The government has to balance. Yeah, I, well. mean, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, we will have massive long-term costs of a mass obesity in this country, but we don't, uh, we don't say people can't say meet up at Christmas. I know it's not an infectious disease, but we don't say that overwhelms the NHS. Why, I mean, maybe, maybe we should actually, you know, I don't know, why are people's jaws shut so they don't overwhelm the NHS? Where does this restriction, I just want to know, when no, do these restrictions do on people's that. lives end? When will the NHS be able to cope enough that we can carry on living our lives freely and making adult choices about our own lives. When do we stop being concerned about things like sugar tax? When do we stop labelling all the food in green, red, mm -hmm. yellow? All those things are done to keep people healthier and well so that there is less mm -hmm. pressure on the health service. So this is happening all the time. It's not just about COVID. Mm -hmm. The COVID vaccination programme is going to take a long time. Isn't it? Until enough people have been vaccinated and have immunity in the same way that we vaccinate for MMR and all the other things that we vaccinate for. Can you, you can you, I'm, I'm, I'm well over the news, but I'd love to know, genuinely, can you give me a rough date? When do you, when do you think, in the spring when we don't have... Um... When, 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 you know, when we get down to a lower level of COVID deaths in the spring, as we will inevitably, is because because of the weather, um, of the season. Do you think that at that point we should be allowed to make adult choices and risk the NHS being overwhelmed? What do you think? I think it will be at the time when we look at all the data and when all the government looks at all the data and the scientists look at all the data and see that the level of infection rate has come down to a point at which the hospitals are not overwhelmed with all the work that they need to do and beds are not occupied by COVID. That is the point. I think some of us worry those days will never come. Dr Claudia Pony, I really appreciate you joining us. Hospital consultant, president of the HCSA, that's the Hospital Doctors Union. Thank you very much indeed. Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and the Times. Know your times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's talk to Ben Habib. He's former Brexit Party MEP, chairman of Brexit Watch and leading businessman as well. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Uh, how hopeful are you that there is going to be a Brexit deal? Well, hopeful isn't a word I use with, with the forthcoming deal, but I, I'm pretty confident there will be a deal, yeah. I mean, this, there, there do seem to be sort of different mood every single day, like, oh, hopes rise, hope fail, depending on what the latest briefing from Barnier or Lord Frost has been uh, to the yeah. various uh, counterparts. Um, but the big thing about this is if if there's a political will, there can easily be a deal. There's just some, there are some key issues. They aren't sort of, oh, shall we pay 28 pence or 29 pence for something? These are big, big, huge sort of political principles, philosophical principles at stake in terms of national sovereignty and the like, aren't they? Do you think fundamentally that economic uh, need and, uh, and, and, uh, and trade, the urge to actually just keep trade going, is going to override the urge to, you know, the EU to punish us for leaving or indeed uh, our urge to sort of assert national sovereignty? What do you think is going to be the overriding move, the thing that's going to drive us towards a deal? Yeah, well, of course, they're linked. You know, the EU has a mercantilist approach to trade. And so if it can keep us linked into its um, level playing field, if it can continue to control us from a legal and regulatory perspective, then it's more likely to continue to be able to sell us 100 billion pounds of goods more each year than we sell them. And I think at the heart of this whole debate between the two sides is that issue. There is also the ideological issue that the EU can't allow the United Kingdom to be seen to succeed because it disturbs the European project. You know, all those countries that are suffering so badly within the EU will see the bright um, future that the, you know, the UK is unfolding for itself and will, will want to join. So there are these two forces against us getting a good deal. But from what I can hear, the negotiators are kind of, as they call it, on, you know, landing on a um, on a strip that meets both sides' claim for sovereignty around the level playing field, which will be a kind of neutral level playing field, determined not by EU state aid laws and competition environment, employment law, but really by some kind of independent yardstick judged by an, uh, an independent arbitration panel as opposed to the Court of Justice of the European Union. And whilst that may not be an ideal result, because I think it will still keep us a, a very highly regulated country, that would be a material improvement on the terms of the political declaration and the discussion we've had so far. OK, well, we shall wait and see what happens every day this week. Plan to talk about Brexit, but we don't seem to know anything more uh, than we did at the weekend. So uh, no doubt we'll get you back on as soon as we hear any more. Ben Habib, former Brexit Party MEP. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.